the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 262 for Monday, May 17th, 2010. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab. I am Dave Hamilton coming here from Durham, New Hampshire, and on the other side of the Skype line, and if Ustream is working okay, on that line too is... John F. Braun here in Fairfield, Connecticut, and I just had to crank on the AC, Dave. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit above uh, 70 degrees uh, upstairs here, plus yeah. I have this little heat generator called my G5. Which <laughs> that's is, believe it or not, it gets the temperature not going up a few degrees. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Anyways, cool. a great, great show here. We do. We have, we, uh, as promised, I know we've promised it for the last couple of weeks that we've been building up this big long list of cool stuff found. So we're, we're definitely going to, we're going to go through that. Uh, you know, I want to mention something out of the gate here because I think there might be a Mac Geekab listener that could fit the bill. Uh, our Steven Swift, who is, uh, who has been doing our programming and all that for years, he, uh, he's heading off to grad school this fall, which means he won't be available to do work for us. So, uh, you know, we're, we're looking, we're looking, definitely looking to have somebody replace him. Re- looking for very strong lamp skills. So, you know, the, the whole Linux Apache, MySQL PHP thing is a big part of what we do. Expression engine is the core of the TMO foundation. So uh, if anybody out there has a, uh, has any interest, email me Dave at Mac and, uh, and we can, we can talk more about it there. So yeah, email that directly to me. No sense sending that to the, the, the feedback at Mac address. Which is good for did, everything. Dave, else. did you say feedback? <laughs> I did. I did say. I did say feedback at macgeekab.com, John. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just want to make sure. That's right. Yeah. But but for the for the interest in the position, it's Dave at macobserver.com. So just correct. Yeah, just trying to get that out there. All right. Uh, so why don't we just dive right in? Yeah, let's dive right in. Let's go to uh, let's go to Ken. Man, it's warm here too. I might have to crack a window. Uh, let me find Ken. I've got too many buttons to push. Here goes, uh, here goes Ken. Hey, John and Dave. This is Ken from Anchorage, Alaska. Uh, I have a cool stuff found item for you. It is called Total Finder, and it brings tabs to the native Finder interface, which in my opinion is way better than using like Pathfinder or X-File, for example, um, because as you know, despite monkeying with the preferences for those, um, those don't remain you know, the, the default, you know, you open up other files and stuff and it still launches file, uh, the finder, even though you want to use Pathfinder, for example. So this just brings, um, Google Chrome like tabs to the, to the finder. And it's really slick. It has a bunch of other, um, options, uh, that you can play around with. The, uh, URL is totalfinder.binaryage.com. It's in uh, alpha right now. It's fr- it's free, and it looks like it's going to be fifteen bucks when version one comes out for the final. So uh, check it out. I highly recommend it. Later, guys. Awesome. Thanks, Ken. Now, John, you uh, you actually took a moment and checked this thing out, huh? I did, and I would say that this thing totally rocks because uh, unless I'm misunderstanding how to use the Finder, which is totally possible, but I installed this, and it, you know, Dave, it was kind of like when you, you had been going on about um, tabs in uh, iChat. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, hang on, hang on. Oh. iChat with tabs. 
I, I didn't hear the echo, but, uh, no, but this is the same thing. And, you know, this, this actually, uh, so part of my workflow when I put the show together is that I will do it on my MacBook Pro. And then when I'm all done, I will uh, mount uh, a network volume to my G5 and then I'll copy the stuff over. Now, normally what I have to do to do that is to open up two finder windows, one for one and one, you know, one for the other, which I think is kind of the limitation of the finder. This thing, as the name implies, and, and it even does what you would expect, you hold down Command-T and you get a tab in a finder window. It, it's just amazing. Um, but it actually, and, and intuitively, I'm like, well, let me try this. So basically I opened up one tab on the folder um, that had you know the prep I did on my MacBook Pro, and then I opened up another tab that had the network volume, and then I actually just dragged the folder over. And when I did that, it actually gave like a visual cue yeah, I'm going to drag this over there for you. So very, it, it's almost, uh, I would say, the way it should be. Yeah, yeah, right, right. <clears throat> and it's also nice because this is unlike, and I think we're going to talk about Pathfinder later, this is uh, what's called a Finder plugin or a Finder extension, that you are actually still running the Finder, and that if you look in your process list through Activity Monitor or something, you're not running Total Finder. You're running Finder, and this thing actually... Uh, and I won't go into detail, but it basically gloms onto Finder and through you know ways that are accepted, which based on what I read is actually kind of squirrely, it basically lets you modify the behavior of Finder. Um, the, the only warning I would give here, and this this I've seen, and I'll, I'll mention one other program because I think uh, you know someone mentioned it's Chrome-like. Yep. Um, an alpha, keep in mind, folks, an alpha is not even a beta. Um, now, now, I haven't seen it violently crash my system, but, uh, and someone points out it's Snow Leopard only, okay. Um, but the thing is, it didn't violently crash my system, which is kind of what I expect from something that somebody states as alpha. To me, be- yeah. and even beta, and I guess the comment that I'll make is, I, I remember some people are having problems with Chrome. And the, uh, the, the Chrome is prone to font issues, especially if you have duplicate fonts or dirty fonts. Yep. Um, even Chrome, I, I don't think Chrome is out of beta yet, so... Yeah, no, it's not. Well, that's a Google thing, right? They don't they don't have ever have anything leave beta. So, right. So I guess what I'm what I'm just stating is that when whenever you run, I mean, I think people's expectations have been unrealistically set with the quality of some betas. But, you know, just be careful when you run anything that is alpha or beta. Right. Um, This here ran surprisingly well being an alpha. Um, and you know, this is something where I'd actually toss the guy, you know, the, the, the money here, because it just gives a whole new facet to the, the finder that I really didn't even realize I, I needed until I realized how clunky my process was before. And I was opening up multiple finder windows and going between them. Now it's all in one. So excellent piece of software. I, I had very good experience in the, in the limited time I used it. So, um, so thank you, Ken. That, that, that is excellent. That's a really, it's a really nice thing. And I, I, I'd love Apple to actually, you know, include this in the next version of the finder. Cool. All right. Uh, moving on to cool stuff found number two with Stu. Hi, John, Dave and Pete. This is, uh, Stu from London. Um, you were talking a little while ago in an episode 240 something about when you went away and you wanted to stream some movies that you had. Uh, to your iPad, uh, or at least to your laptop, so you could watch them while you were away. Um, you used a method that uh, involved a lot of processing stuff and a lot of waiting around. I just thought I'd let you know about um, an application by a company called InMethod, who makes something called Air Video. And Air Video is a server 
app that you download for your Mac. Uh, it runs in the background. You download the client software for your iPhone or iPad, and it streams on the fly any file type whatsoever. It will. It's basically just a remote control for an encoder on your computer that then sends it out as a stream uh, to your iPad or iPhone. And as long as you've got a shortcut to any disk, I think using a SIM link, you should be able to just navigate straight to your TiVo. I think it was. I'm, I'm from the UK, so I don't get that over here. But it should work. I use it myself with uh, some external drives that I have, pop some SIM links in the shortcuts, and I can get to any file type uh, that I have on video, and it works out what kind of uh, connection you've got down, uh, kind of downstreams it accordingly, or uh, you know, downgrades the stream accordingly to where you are. So, thought I'd point that out, and uh, this is where you can cut off my things. Yes. Okay. <laughs> bye bye. No, no, Stu. We we aren't cutting off anything. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we um, uh, that that and that would work. Air, air video would work, except that I knew I wouldn't always have service on the train coming back, so I didn't want to have to stream while watching. I wanted to download it and keep it on there. But you, but but that notwithstanding, air video is great, and it is a solution to the other thing we were talking about, which is streaming music and movies over your local network direct to your iPad. A functionality that. I don't understand why Apple has not uh, has not included, but uh, you know it is what it is. So, yeah, thank you, Stu. That's that's a very very cool thing to have found. You got it. Got anything on there, John? Before we uh, move on to Ian, uh, I have not tried it, so All right. no, got nothing on that. All right. So Ian stumbled onto something. He said uh, someone was telling me about an app by Late Night Soft called Squeeze at LateNightNITESoft.com. Apparently, it takes advantage of HFS compression compression in macOS 10.6, Snow Leopard. I'm wondering if you know anything about it. Seems similar to NTFS compression on the dark side, but I've never found that to work very well. Uh, so, yes, HFS compression is something that's available in Snow Leopard. I think it's initially available in, in Snow Leopard, right, John? I don't think it was available in Leopard. Uh, and the thing is, it's actually being used on quite a few things already. Apple is taking advantage of it uh, as part of the OS. So, uh, so you know, the, uh, the it, it is possible and, and it's totally seamless from what I understand. Once you compress one of these files uh, and you can compress anything with this squeeze program. But once you compress it, the system still treats it like it's a, a normal file. All the, the decompression is done right on, the, you know, at the at a very low level. So apps aren't aren't aware that anything is happening. Is that is that right, John? Um, pretty much. Yeah, I looked into this. So so we have a Mac OS 10 hints, which we'll uh, link to that, 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 that talks about this. But they recommend uh, the thing is, yes, as, as you said, Dave, you will not know this. Like, for example, uh, I believe uh, in the example on Mac OS 10 hints. So one, you can't even tell that the apps are compressed. You got to use something and they link to a utility. It's not built into OS 10, but it's something called HFS debug, which, uh, you know, I went to the page and I tried it out. And if you use this utility and then you, you, uh, you have to sudo and then run this because it needs admin, and then it'll show you the stats for a file. And for example, uh, I think it was a QuickTime player that they used. Yep. Um, what you got to look at is that this HFS debug utility will show logical size and uncompressed size. And if those sizes are different, so for example, in this case, the logical size of um, of uh, uh, the, the QuickTime player was about five megabytes. 
the uncompressed size was 14 megabytes. So now I'm not sure, and I'd, I'd love to hear from folks, you know, what criteria does Apple use in order to determine whether a file should be compressed? And actually, I did acquire Squeeze. I think it was part of the uh, uh, Mac Heist uh, Oh, deal yeah. or something like yeah. that because I actually have it on my MacBook Pro. I haven't really used it because you know I'm a bit wary of. Uh, there have been attempts to do uh, file system compression in the past, and some of them don't work that great. Yeah, but since I didn't even know this existed, and it seems to be working fine, um, and and Squeeze also went through a number of point revisions, which also made me nervous that there was 1.0 and then 1.01 and 1.02 and and all that. So, um, but yeah, certainly. Uh, you know, something to try out if, if you're, uh, I, I would still err on the side of, I don't know, the, the software compression just makes me kind of nervous. If anything, these guys probably did it as, as well as they could, but, you know, hard drives are cheap, so. Uh, yeah, there, now there was, a, there was a piece of software, this reminds me of something way back in the OS 9 days called Disk mm-hmm. Doubler, right? Yep. That, that did essentially this. Now, of course, it didn't operate at the OS level, but it operated pretty close to the OS level. It was, you know, it was in the in the uh, it was an extension is what it did. And and yeah, it, it would compress everything on the disk. I don't think you had any choice one way or another. But, uh, you know, that uh, it, we all used it because hard drives were expensive back then. But uh, but, you know, it is what it is. So now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Right. John, um, hello. I don't hate JPEGs. Who said I hate JPEGs? <laughs> Remember that there are people listening, far more of them than uh, than in the chat room. So what John is referring to is a comment in the chat room, some, saying that uh, he that somebody 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 accusing him of hating JPEGs, uh, riffing on your comment, John, no doubt about compression not being necessary. Um, uh, I'll, I'll refine that Com- compression if it's not supported by the file format. Of course, JPEG supports compression within the file format itself sure. but but doing it afterwards and, and sometimes you can second guess yourself i mean if you try to compress a file that already uses compression like a jpeg uh, i don't know if they use uh, uh I, I forget the exact algorithm but um anyways i, I guess if you're tight on disk space and you want to manually use squeeze go go for it yeah. um it's supported by the os which uh, to me and and it's transparent as we saw i guess uh heck hey if you need those extra few megabytes, go for it. But uh, but as we discussed in the past, Dave, you know, once you start getting to a certain you know threshold on your drive of uh, you know free space, you're you're going to start getting in a world of pain, and you may want to consider a larger either mechanical or SSD drive. Yep. Yep. Uh, all right. You know, I've, I've been experimenting with calendars and the best way to sync them lately. We use uh, BusyCal in the house here, but when I'm traveling. Uh, if, you know, if, if I make a change to a calendar that Lisa and I have shared or, or she makes a change, I don't get that until I'm back on the local network. And so uh, in messing around this weekend, I started syncing directly with Google Sync, Google Calendar Sync. And uh, and the interesting thing is that I was able to connect and you may or may not know this, but you can connect your iPhone directly to Google Calendars as though it's an exchange server. You don't connect it as a Gmail account, connect it as an exchange server and uh, and you put in your your email address and it'll work and then and then you have to accept the certificate. It's a it's a slightly convoluted process, but it's pretty straightforward. You have to accept the certificate and then after you do that, then you type in the server address of m.google.com. Once you do that, then you can choose whether you want mail, contacts, or calendars, or all three synced this way. Uh, if you choose calendars, there's another step involved, but it's actually pretty cool. What the step is is you go to um, 
uh, you go to m.google.com slash sync, S-Y-N-C, and it will uh, allow you to pick. It'll show you. It'll say what devices you have already synced with Google Calendar. And then you, you go to that URL and you uh, and you can select which calendars sync to your device, which is something really cool that you can't do with mobile me. I have a lot of calendars and some of them I, I just I subscribe to, but I don't care to see them on my iPhone. I, you know, I just I want them at my desk and I want to be able to turn them off and on. But uh, because there's no calendar groups on the iPhone, you either get one calendar or all of them. And uh, and so this Google sync thing allows you to uh, to do that. So. So I, uh, I, I add that there for, uh, for your okay. potential benefit because it's, right. it, and it syncs great. It works really, really well. It's been better, been better than mobile me for me so far. I noticed the same thing when I set it up. So you and I, Dave, we actually, uh, so you had set up a uh, Mac geek app calendar, right? So you and I can share the schedule. And I noticed this number one, I, I assumed that I could hook up to with it using iCal and that that was incorrect because I actually went to the Google docs and they said, no, 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 no. You want to pretend this is an exchange server. And that right. that worked a lot better as far as it being able to push the stuff. Cause yeah, if I just signed up as a, is it web dev? Um, yeah. Uh, whatever. Yeah. It didn't work out quite right. And that the things were not propagating across my devices. And then also, yeah, I did run the little utility that lets me, so I set up my iPod touch as a client and there's a special utility, as you mentioned, Dave, that you run at Google, right. Which enables particular devices. So, um, yeah, so yeah it cool. sounds like there's still a mess in the, in the calendaring world. I don't know. I mean, I call it, it seems it, actually Apple did pioneer, I think a standard format. iCal, right. But, CalDAV or CalDAV. That's, that's yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Got but it. yeah, but it's it, even, they don't support it the right way. I, it, from what I've seen it, you know, mm -hmm. and the world, the reality is the world runs on exchange. I think it's really cool that uh that google made all their stuff act like a like an exchange server i mean it, I, I can't imagine it makes microsoft all that happy or all those third parties that were you know reselling hosted exchange services but hey you know that's the well, world well but but we saw in snow leopard i mean apple made a huge leap in supporting a lot of the exchange standards and in, in all of their programs address book ICAL, well yeah um, as clients Right. Right. But, correct, correct. but you know, the Google in one fell swoop basically said, yeah, you don't need to run an exchange server. Just put this stuff out here. We're fine with it. All, All right. right. Uh, we've got two, not one, but two hints about Dropbox. So let me uh, let me get to these. Let me find Carl here. And Carl says. Uh, let's see. Uh, what am I talking about here? Okay, Carl says, I make use of the application Sync to Folders to automatically sync the Documents folder in my local Dropbox with the Documents folder on my remote iDisk. Uh, now, that's very interesting because uh, what he does is he wants to be able to use his iDisk uh, in, in various ways. And, and to be honest, I think Apple is going to, I mean, it makes perfect sense that if Apple is going to allow a networked file system onto the iPhone or the iPad, it's going to be iDisk. They're not going to support, you know, uh, Dropbox, right? If, if they don't support their own thing. So, you know, as much as we like Dropbox for, uh, you know, for the way that it works and the ease of use, the reality is, uh, you know, at some point, if you're going to want to use Apple devices, you've got to, you know, you've got to go to this route. So, uh, so sync two folders and having that sync the documents folder on the Dropbox out to the iDisk and back 
gives you a way of keeping the two in sync. You're managing your stuff using Dropbox and yet still having things out on the iDisk. So that was pretty cool. And then uh, Carl also said, uh, many of your readers may not know, when we call them listeners, Carl, uh, may not know that it is possible to run multiple Dropboxes on a single computer. Uh, please see the link below. And he, he uh, there is a... Uh, a link at dropbox.com on their wiki about how to use multiple instances on Unix. And what you have to do is you've got to launch the second one from the terminal, but, uh, but it, it, it's actually pretty cool. And I've been thinking about finding a use for this, um, uh, because there's there's some things that I wouldn't necessarily want synced with all of my computers, but I might want out in the cloud so that I can get to them using something like Goodreader from uh, from the iPad. So mm -hmm. uh, so you know there there you go. Two uh, two tips from Carl about Dropbox, and uh, we might as well add the third in while we're doing this. Jed mentions. You know, you can sign up for Dropbox and we'll do it again. We'll put the link in the show notes. Uh, you can sign up for Dropbox. And if you use uh, our referral link or really anyone's referral link, but we'll put one out there. Uh, if you use that, you get an extra 250 megabytes on top of your two gigs, as as do we. So it's a it's a win win kind of thing. On top of that, though, once you have a Dropbox account, uh, go to the Getting Started page, which is www.dropbox.com slash GS. And there are six steps that you can go through. If you go through five of those six steps, you get yet another bonus 250 megabytes. So you can sign up, you know, normally you get two gigs. If you sign up through us and then go and do the tour, you uh, you'll actually have two and a half gigs. So you'll increase your space by, I believe, 25 percent. Uh, so. Thank you, Jed, for uh, for reminding us of that, that 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 tour and the the whole getting started thing is a good thing. So, hmm. anything to add there, John? Before no, we move on, I'm, I'm I'm maxed out on my Dropbox, so uh, thanks yep. to all the people that <laughs> signed yep. up for my link. So, all right, I'm going to skip this thing that Pete had because uh, unless you think it's worth it, because I want to do it when Pete's here, and Pete is no. in the air at the moment. All right. Well, yeah. let's go, let's go to uh, let's go to Matt here and see what Matt has to say. Hey guys, this is Matt from North Carolina. I just wanted to uh, send you guys a link to an Apple script uh, that I found on uh, the Mac OS X automation uh, website. Uh, probably a month or two ago I can't remember how long ago it was you had an episode where you had some a caller uh, call, call in to uh, ask about several different things and one of the things he asked about was um, making it easy to s switch between users uh, with him and his wife he said that they didn't you know have any problems with uh, you know switching from one user to another as far as you know trusting each other and everything and um, they didn't want to have to type in the um, have put their passwords every time. So uh, uh, your suggestion to him was that just get rid of the passwords and you can just switch, you know, quickly without those passwords. Um, I happened to run into this Apple script uh, that I mentioned earlier um, the other day, which basically automates that process if you're in one and you want to go to the other real quick and you just open up the Apple script, which you can put in your toolbar and your finder or whatever, and uh, it will switch you without any problems. Um, love the show, guys. You can cut me off here. Thanks, Matt. Very, very cool. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, and that, and that nice. it, it works. Yeah. 
I, I do want to talk about our first sponsor here, CircusPonies.com. Their product notebook is what we're talking about here today. Notebook is uh, the idea behind it is you start it up and you're presented with a screen that looks like a white lined notebook paper. And as you might expect, you can go and type in there and you can type hierarchically, meaning if you tab in, it'll build an outline for you. Very, very cool for uh, for starting a, a project or, or kind of sketching out some notes. Of course, it goes much further than that. You can then pull in images. You can pull in PDFs. You can, let's say you got a you know scanned image through eFax or something. You can pull that in and actually have it OCR that and convert the facts into text so that you can then uh, copy and paste the text out. What Notebook will let you do is you can assign keywords uh, or tags to all these things. And you can also assign little stickies out, making notes on the items that you pull in. You can have multiple pages, of course, in the same notebook, and uh, and you can choose how those pages are arranged. So if you've got something that you're sort of building there, you can definitely make it work. They've got some starting points. It can be a little daunting to start with a blank page, as we all know. So they've got some starting points for you that, while you may not necessarily build uh, right on top of those, uh, it's a good kind of trial to go through and see what's possible. It'll give you some ideas as to what you can do. Then you can search inside the notebook using Multidex, which is their patented search engine. It allows you to go through and not only search by uh, text that you're looking for, but keywords or a date that you entered in. It remembers everything about how you put this stuff in there. Notebook is available from Circus Ponies at CircusPonies.com. They have a 30-day free trial, but then after that, it's $49.95 or $29.95 if you qualify as an academic licensee, which means you're a teacher, a student, or somehow otherwise affiliated, administrative or whatever, at at any uh, academic institution or at least at qualifying academic institutions. All available at CircusPonies.com. That's Notebook version 3.0. So. Okay, Dave. A question from the peanut gallery: Have have, have do you know? Uh, well, no, I just saw in the chat room. Yeah. Do, do you know if uh, they have any plans, or have they uh, considered an iPad version? I do not know. That would be, it would make a great piece of software on the iPad. Okay. Uh, and well, I'll got pass one that. Vote for that. I'll pass that along to them. Yeah, they'll uh, they'll. Uh, I'm, I'm sure Jason over at Circus Ponies will be happy to uh, to know that. In fact, I'm making a note right now. Cool. So. Uh, all right, let's, uh, we've got a couple of, couple of two stuff, a couple, a couple, two more of uh, cool stuff found left. So let's go to Thomas and, uh, now I need to get back to the right place. I've got too much stuff going on here, John. Hey, John and Dave. Um, just have a few comments about show 257 and show 259. Um, you had discussed on show 257 creating symbolic links using the command line and the terminal yeah. on Mac OS X. Well, uh, there's an easier way to do it. Um, anytime you start talking about command line tools, although I consider myself a geek, I check out and immediately look for a uh, GUI version uh, that will do the same thing. And I found one. It's called Symbolic Linker, all one word. If you Google it, you'll probably find it. The URL is included in the email, but uh, it's pretty long. Um, It's a great tool. installs as a service, and basically you right-click on any file, and it gives you the option to make a symbolic link of it. I use it all the time for my iTunes library and for my iPhoto library, and it works uh, really well. The other thing in Show 259, 
All right. And we'll, uh, we'll, we'll stop you there, Thomas. So that's awesome. Thank you. Yep. Uh, going to the terminal to make symbolic links is not necessarily the most comfortable thing for many, many mm-hmm. people. So yeah, adding it to the finders contextual menu is awesome. That's right. great. And a little plug here, Dave, yep. is actually, I believe, so, so when I do the show notes, so sometimes I'll take verbatim what you and I put together beforehand, but sometimes I'll stump, and I'm pretty sure I stumbled across this one and included it. So yeah, yeah. I'm just going to say is that if you look at our show notes, you may see based on some additional Google for research and, and we'll have a couple more of these come up, I think, during this show. Yep. I may find something that is applicable to what we talked about in the show. But it's just a little bonus for you folks. And of course, as you know, the show notes are free even for the premium show. So That's right. And we, we tweet them out on MacGeekAb on yeah. Twitter and, uh, and other means. But anyways, I stumbled across this as well. So excellent way. Because, yeah, I mean, who wants to fiddle with the terminal? It's just a pain <laughs> in the neck. <laughs> it's true. And then you have something, Dave, here, I guess. I, now, I don't know what the heck this is here, if you okay. want to cover it or yeah, move I on. Yeah, I do. Uh, so... Uh, last week, I went and bought uh, an AT&T 3G microcell or microcell 3G. I can't remember what the what, name of the product what the is. What the heck is that? Ah, so, it sounds like it's small. It's micro. Well, cell. it's small. To me, it implies something that's small. <laughs> it's about the size of a cable modem. Okay. And mm-hmm. what you do is you plug one end of it into power, into a wall socket. Mm-hmm. And the other end, you plug into your network. You just you wire it up to your router like it's another computer. And what it does is it it takes it goes and gets a uh, a signal from AT&T and rebroadcasts it in your house so you have your own little hence the term microcell you have your own little cell tower if you will inside your house now you go and you it, this isn't usable by just everybody you go online to manage it and you tell uh you tell it okay look you know uh these 10 phones you have a maximum of 10 phones that can use it mm-hmm. uh four can use it simultaneously uh before it maxes itself out the cool part is uh so so there's a couple of cool parts one is that if you have an iphone or you know something along those lines and uh and you have uh, bad service in your house and you want to fix that, well, this will definitely fix it, right? The other thing that's cool is uh, for 20 bucks a month, you can add unlimited microcell calling to your cell phone account, which means that when you're on your microcell and it looks different on the iPhone, you get a little, you know, instead of just saying AT&T, it says AT&T M cell. Now this will work with any 3G phone from AT&T. It's not limited to the iPhone. Uh, but when you're on it, if you if you add this twenty dollar a month thing to your account, you now have unlimited calling on your iPhone. If you have a family plan, you can add unlimited calling for the entire family plan for twenty bucks a month. So there is no monthly charge to have the microcell, and you can use it anyway. Uh, but if you want to use it for unlimited calling, uh, then it's twenty bucks a month. It it's and it and it works really really well. It's it's sort of interesting to set up as as my wife said. It's you know it's clearly not an Apple device. Uh, you know, you plug it in and then it just sort of flashes and flickers. It has to get a GPS lock. Uh, they say that that's so that they can provide enhanced 911 service and confirm that you're at the address that you say you're at. I think it's so that you don't take the thing and move it to Bangladesh and get AT&T service, you know, over okay. there. I, I don't know. Right. You know, but that's that's my theory on it. But anyway, so- it works fine. Uh, the only problem was that, you know, I've got the house in the office here and coverage was there was just no good place I could put it that covered both. So I wound up buying a second one. Uh, they're one hundred and fifty bucks a piece. But last week, uh, if you bought it before the 
15th, I guess, uh, they'd give you a hundred dollar rebate on it. So you, they were 50 bucks a piece. All right. So is this because we've seen Dave and I, I can't remember that about, I, uh, I'll just spit it out. Go ahead. Um, there are companies that uh, we saw at Macworld that were offering at least one company that offered what I would say is a cell phone extender. It sounds no. like this is kind of or, or no. is it, because those are those are definitely at the hardware level and that they're basically giving you almost like an antenna extension. I think this goes quite and those beyond things, that. Those things are useless, by the way. John, John Martellaro did a great review of the microcell that's oh. on, on TMO. So we'll put that up. But he also right. has tested out. He's in a great area to test all this stuff because he has terrible AT&T service at his house. He has to go up to the top of the hill to get it. Right. Uh, so he he tested out those those cell phone extender things. They're they're, they're pretty much useless. You have to be within oh, about five right. feet of the thing uh, for it to work. And what it does is it gets the signal over the air and right. then and then, you know, amplifies it into your house. But if you've got bad yeah. signal to begin with, it's kind of, you know, like, well, you know, I, I don't you know, <laughs> I don't know. OK, no. So I get this. So this is in a in a very crude sense an extender but it sounds like it also has a lot of management capabilities well but see no the difference is it's not extending mm -hmm. the signal by going uh by grab it's not grabbing the wireless signal and extending it. it it's going over the internet it's using your high-speed internet connection oh, okay. so it's it's essentially voice over ip uh mm -hmm. with you know with your with your cell phone rebroadcast to the cell phone so it's actually pretty okay. cool um, and, and the, mm. you know, calls are crystal clear. It, it, it works really, really well. Like I said, it's a little funky to set up, but it's not too bad. You just got to plug it in and wait mm. is really what it is for it to get a, it's got to get a GPS lock and then, and then it, you know, and then it's happy. So it's cool. Okay. It's cool. Yeah. So I'm in the process of, uh, of shedding my landlines here because it, at that price, it makes perfect sense to do so, especially with, Ooh. with all four. You know, I'm 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 at the same point as well. Yeah. I still have an AT and T landline. I you know got rid of, like for example, I got rid of, you know, unlisted service because it's like, what's the point? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was like six bucks a month. I mean, still, you know, what the heck? I mean, you know, uh, but also I'm I'm considering uh, the only thing is that it's a piece of data that a lot of people use for verification, like credit card companies and mm -hmm. and others. Is that if you're not calling from the number that they have registered for you as your official home number, then you got to go through additional hoops in order to convince them you are who you are. So on the other hand, they do have, at least in my area and probably your area, Dave, uh, you know, they have like here they have the they call it the triple play, which is right now. So I have my cable modem and my cable yeah. TV with Optimum. I don't have my phone with them. I'm still wary of doing the VoIP phone thing with them. But you know, I've been I'm, on VoIP I'm, I'm phones leaning, for okay for seven years now, eight years. Okay, and I've never noticed it. No, nope. you know, uh, hardly ever. I don't think I've ever noticed that you're on a, a different type of phone. So I, I may, you know, yeah. I mean, you know, I've made a lot of changes in my life as of late. So I, uh, I may call them. The only thing that that irks me is that they have this. Well, here's a one or two year deal where we'll give it all to you for, you know, for example, a hundred bucks a month seems sure. to be the That's baseline the deal. for a lot right. of these guys. Is hundred bucks a month? You'll get cable. You'll get a uh, uh, cable modem, cable TV, and phone for a year for a hundred bucks. I'm like, okay, cool. Then what? Hundred bucks a month. Yeah, just to be sorry, hundred bucks a month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Then what? Right. And then I guess then and, and the only thing that bothers me is then you're at the mercy of these guys. Well, so here is here's, what if here's they the, want to what if they want to jack it up to? Oh, okay. Well, now it's going to be two hundred bucks a month, and it's like, well, what do you do? Do you threaten them to to dump them and go back to AT and T? Uh huh. What? 
So here's okay. here's here's a, I've got I've got a lot of interesting things to share on this. And, I, and my guess is it's, you know, it, the, you and I aren't the only ones here. So we'll take a detour from that, which is is solely Mac and, and talk a little bit about this. Uh, so a couple of things. First of all, you could take your landline number and port that to be your cell phone number. I realize that. So, so portability you, is pretty much mandated that yep. they have to allow you to port. So I've got to port my Copper landline, I can port that to a VoIP line and they have to let me do that. Well, or you could port it to your cell phone if you don't want to go to a VoIP. You could port it to either, right? So if you just wanted to keep your cell phone, you could get rid of your cell phone number and have it so that when people call that number, you know, your your home number, that that's your cell phone, right? So, uh, and and that works fine. So, so that's option A. Option B is, like you said, you could port it to the VoIP line from Optimum Online if you want to do it that way. Uh, so those are, you know, those are two options. Here's the here's the interesting thing when you get to the end of your contract. Now, I've been a Vonage customer for it's probably it's got to be seven years. Mm-hmm. Right. We had them in Connecticut before we moved here and we've been here over five years. So we're almost exactly five. So. Uh, so. So, you know, initially we were on contracts and then we were on an annual prepaid plan last week. You know, going through all this, I decided, all right, forget the annual prepaid plan. I, I want to get off of that. So I called up and I had to sort of negotiate mm-hmm. with them to get off of that. But we did. Uh, and then I had on one of our um, one of our accounts, we had because we've got Vonage for, you know, me and for Jeff and for Greg and, you know, we, we use it for everybody here. And uh, and so I had to go and uh, we had to cancel. We had like a soft phone line. We we had a phone number we wanted to keep. And it, 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 long story, I had to call and cancel a line on my Vonage plan. So I called them up and they took care of the, to cancel. You have to talk to, you know, one of the customer service gurus because. They're there to try and keep you from canceling. But on this one, there was no negotiation. Yeah. Well, there's a special retention right. group. I the think. retention group. Exactly. They just give you to the people that are uh, their job is to make sure you don't leave. That's right. So, you know, I explained to her why we had to get rid of this line. She could see we hadn't used this number. You know, we we're paying five bucks a month or something for it. And we hadn't used it. Nobody had called it in like two years. So it's like, yeah, you know, we sort of we're sort of done with this. She's like, that's fine. She said, you know, I noticed you've been a customer for a long time and you're now on the monthly plan. I said, yeah, I don't want to be on the annual plan. She said, actually, I wasn't going to go down that path. She said, uh, we've got a promotion now where we can uh, give you the same thing for half price every month. Uh, no commitment. Uh, we'll do it for a year. And then after that, the price goes up. So all these companies realize that, you know, we all have cell phones. And unless they make it really cheap and easy for us to keep our landline, VoIP line, whatever you want to call it, uh, we're just going to throw them away and, and stick with our cell phones because the coverage is good enough. And if it's not 50 bucks, you know, last week anyway, got me a microcell that made the coverage good enough. So, uh, so I think when you get to the end of your year with your optimum plan, you know, at the 11 month mark, call them up and say, what's going to happen? Do I need to just cancel my service or do you have something else for me? And they'll see that you've been a customer forever. And chances are their retention group will have a nice little sweet offer for you. So. Mm-hmm. So that's my that that's my uh, that's my advice on that. OK. And I've heard from others. So so I think the, the general thing is that, you know, it's sad that you have to do this, but you have to kind of threaten to leave them in order to get a. It, reasonable deal that that would in work. a lot of cases yeah with with vonage I, I mean i didn't even threaten to leave uh you know but i think they could see the writing on the wall so it was they were they were proactive about it which i thought was great i mean i you know i thought that well, was you kind of really lay good. you laid out the you know you yeah. laid out your case and and they responded accordingly yeah but i didn't but i wasn't even expecting them to do anything it was just like mm-hmm. i just need to get rid of this we're you know kind of doing this and she's like well how about if we do this it's like uh, you just saved me a ton of money 
you know, I'm yeah. saving. Yeah. So whatever. It's fine. The thing is, they got to be making money or else they wouldn't do that. Right. Exactly. 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 <laughs> That's right. So okay. uh, good so stuff, man. It's cool it, yeah, for the business. I think we're going to move to a virtual PBX system, actually. Uh, mm-hmm. So that we have one number that people can call. I think I'm going to go with phone.com or ring central. I've got to do a little more research, but uh, you know, essentially where somebody can call one number and we'll port our numbers into that. Oh, uh, so you asking about that. That's yeah. Okay. And then that they can, you know, if you want Dave, you press one, if you want Jeff, you mm-hmm. press two, Greg, press three, whatever, you know, uh, and then it'll ring whatever number we want it to ring to get to our, our extension, if you will, our virtual extension. So nice. Uh, I think we're going to do that. It's, it's cheap. It's 10 or 20 bucks a month, depending on how much we use. So, all right. Uh, second sponsor is GoToAssist Express from Citrix. Uh, what this does is we all know uh, at one point or another, we've been on one side or the other of a tech support phone call. And this can be one of the most frustrating life experiences. Uh, you know, waiting in line at DMV pales in comparison to trying to negotiate tech support on the phone. Be you the support rep or the uh, the supportee, if you will. So uh, Citrix set out to solve this. Now, there have been lots of ways of connecting remotely to other computers, but the problem is always you either need to set it up in advance as the tech. You need to go over and, and configure the computer so that you can then come in and touch it. Or you've got to try and walk the user over the phone through setting up their firewall and poking holes and turning on sharing and all that stuff. Citrix solves this with GoToAssist Express. What you do is as the tech, you go in and you start a new session in your GoToAssist Express account. And once you start that session, you get a little link. And you send that link to the person who you need to help. And all they need to have is an internet connection and a web browser. Uh, Nothing else on their computer needs to work right, right? So if they're on the internet, you go, uh, you know, they visit this link. You can even read them the link over the phone. It's short, right? So you go to the link. They go to the link. Uh, You're sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting. And they go to the link. As soon as they go, they're asked, you know, do you want to do this? They say yes. And then, boom, you're connected and you've taken over their screen. Now, they can still stop the session if they want, as we've mentioned, but it works. And uh, and that way, you know, there's no operator game happening and you can do it. Go to assistexpress.com slash gab is the special URL that you need to go to to get 30 day free trial of this. It's pretty cool. I highly recommend checking it out. So go to assist.com slash gab and uh, and check it out. That's uh, that's from Citrix. We've got some follow-ups from previous shows that we should go through here, John. Uh, we had yeah. uh, we had a we had an issue where Grant's kids were renaming his hard drive, and I believe Steve <laughs> has an answer. Hey, John and Dave, Steve again down in Dallas, still listening to uh, MacGeekGap two five seven, and you came up I came up on the last one. I think Grant wanting to know about uh, keeping his kids from renaming the hard drive. Another option would be to set the finder preferences so that those hard drives are not showing on the desktop, which is the default in 10.6. And I believe in 10.5 that you can uh, set those preferences to not show mounted drives and to not show uh, the system or, or hard drive on the desktop. And that would keep them from being able to do that of course you'd then have to teach them how to get into their home folder or his wife to get into the home folder or get into folders that she needs to get into keep up the good work guys talk to you later 
Thanks, Steve. Awesome. Yep. That'll do it. <laughs> that'll do it. Well, it's funny because it kind of tied into the question we had before, Dave, which was, I can't see anything on my desktop. And I actually, uh, in the last show notes, linked to an article that pointed out. So, yeah, you go to Finder Preferences General, show these items on the desktop. Now, the one thing that I'm wondering, though, Dave, is that I think in all cases, if you just double click on the... No, maybe not. Okay, if you double click on the Finder icon, I think it'll show... No, no, I don't think it will. I don't think it'll show those devices if you uh, disable them in the uh, preference. So... Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. uh, you know, last show, we talked about Larry's problem and, and it was one of those things. Uh, Larry was was asking about address book duplicates. And it was one of those things that in the pre-show, as I was prepping it, which I you know, we both kind of go through a lot of stuff and sometimes we go a little quicker than we should. We assumed his problem was something other than it was until we read it again in the show. And it was like, ooh, all right, this isn't quite what we prepped. So uh, what Larry wrote was uh, that he listened to show 260 and he says, actually, our advice worked. Little did we know really? that the cleanup duplicates thing or merge duplicates in a dress book. Not only does it merge duplicate records, but if you have one record for someone where uh, let's say I have your record, John. And I have your home address in there twice and it's the mm. same address and it's marked home. Uh, it will merge those two within your record as well, which is so exactly be, what Larry's so problem to, was. So to be clear, if it had the same, uh, I'm going to call it classification. Correct. Which is either work, right. home, office. And I, I think there's a few others that ICAL and the, the you know, our address book and some others use. So it was smart enough to consolidate those. Correct. That's great. But then I think he had, uh, so he did that. And yeah, we were very pleased to get the email. Yeah. But then he still had some where I guess the case was they were identical addresses with different classifications. Right. That's right. One might be home and one might be work, even if the data was exactly the same. And address books merge would not touch that because probably because it wasn't, you know, it, it probably wasn't sure which it should be home or work. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. You know, they could they could make a better user interface on this and actually, you know, perhaps ask the user. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> you know it seems like a well, reasonable idea to me. Well, we well, we had the, the whole fish shake in the last episode. Yeah. That there even their duplicate functionality is very vague into what it's doing. It's like, well, I detected some problems. I'm going to fix them for you. Is that OK? And it's like, uh, yeah, hmm. Uh, I guess. Anyways, so then, uh, so fortunately, again, uh, when I was researching the show notes, I actually came across, I think it was Mac OS 10 Hints, you know, great site. Yep. And they actually had a link to um, a site that offers Apple scripts to deal with the cases, Dave, where you do have uh, addresses with uh, different classifications. Oh. Um. You saw the email exchange. Basically, yeah. and I followed up with him. Yeah. Saying, so first off, we were surprised that, that the functionality was as good as it was, but he still had a few left over. And so I followed up with him and said, Larry, check this out. And it was, uh, you know, or, or just linked to the sites. It was a uh, vocaro.com slash Trevor slash software slash Apple script. This really nice guy wrote these Apple scripts and what you can do. And, and part of the function is it'll basically look through your address book, which AppleScript can certainly do. Yep. And if it sees an identical address under multiple classifications, it'll it'll you know kind of mush them together. 
which is really nice. And Dave just tweeted that out. Great. Oh, I love the chat room. <laughs> um, but the nice thing is that you can also, so when you download these, so he didn't, uh, so the guy didn't do these as, you know, applications, which I guess is one option, but he actually did the raw Apple script. So what you can do is once you download them from the site, and I did this, Dave, you can right click on it and you can open it in Apple script editor. And hey, if you want to get some oh, Apple yeah. script foo, that's you the way can to do see it. Yeah. all of the Apple script code. Um, so if you want to teach yourself a little, uh, a little Apple script or just see the logic behind writing Apple script, yep. this is a great place to start for you budding programmers who uh, are kind of afraid of this, uh, or not afraid, but, uh, it, it's a great place to start. So maybe download some of these, just see how Apple script works. I mean, a lot of it is, is really pretty straightforward. You know, having done programming in a number of areas, I looked at it and Dave, I mean, none of it blew me away as being, you know, incomprehensible. Apple script is actually pretty, pretty easy to read. I mean, it's pretty straightforward in, in the wording and stuff that they use. I mean, it, I think it's really good for, you know, people that are not hardcore programmers to try to get work done. So, I agree. I agree. Yeah. So this site is great. You can open the scripts. They're, they're fully open. You can open them. You can look at them. You can even tweak them if you want. And maybe, maybe you can do some other things with the address book that, uh, that, you know, that this guy didn't anticipate. So, yep. A hidden gem that that we stumble across. Good stuff. Cool. Thanks. All right. Uh, we talked about the disappearing desktop recently and had two comments very related. Uh, we'll we'll play one and read the other. Hey, Dave and John. This is Gavin from the UK. I was listening to uh, MGG two hundred and sixty where a user had lost his uh, his desktop. Um, I had the same problem, uh, but it was when I was using Pathfinder. Basically, Pathfinder replaced my desktop with a Pathfinder desktop, and although um, I could see the, all the files within um, Finder, I could not see them on the desktop. Um, just thought I'd throw that out there. Thanks, bye. Yep, so that, uh, and then let's combine this with Wes's note here, mm-hmm. where Wes says uh, two things, as, as, uh, as Gavin said. Pathfinder lets you turn off the Finder desktop and use the Pathfinder's desktop instead. So there must be a way to turn off the Finder desktop independently. Number two, the, the Preference Pane Secrets has a binary option called Allow Icons on Desktop, which can be turned on or off. When off, no icons are displayed. So perhaps uh, using that Secrets Pref Pane, you could go in and and you know jigger that around and maybe get the uh, maybe get the desktop to come back. There were quite a few of you that chimed in and said that uh, you had the same problem that you know this this magically disappearing or or non functional desktop. And uh, so perhaps that Secrets Pref Pane is uh, is the is the magic answer there. I, I love it. it. I know it, it, it's 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 scary though because yeah, it's all. Yeah. I mean, it's like randomly you know messing around with things under the hood of your car and just hoping that right. you know, it's going to work and not you know cause your vehicle to burst into flames or right. <laughs> uh, all right, we've got a couple of questions to go through. I don't know. We'll certainly get to the first one. I don't know if we'll get to the rest of them, but that's okay. We've got uh, we've got more shows coming up. Um, it seems like we this video issue or or bandwidth issue or whatever it was has sorted itself mm-hmm. out. The one oh. thing I'm going to say is, unfortunately, as we were troubleshooting it, uh, this was the first time I was using the Ustream producer application. The reason I was using it is because our show has been approved for the iPhone and the iPad. But mm-hmm. the catch is you have to you have to uh, use the Ustream producer app. Uh 
And that's the uh, that's the only way to do it. We gave up on the Ustream producer app because we thought it was causing our problems, uh, whether it was or not. I don't I don't think it was because we were having the problems once we moved back to the old way of doing it. But once we got the show going, of course, I didn't want to stop it. So that's why you're not seeing this show on uh, on the Ustream app. We will do this again. In fact, we're going to do it for the very next one, John. So be ready. I'm not going to promise what? that we're going to. Yeah, we're going to do this and we're going to do it until we get it right and figure out the plan. And then we'll and then we'll take it and kind of maybe do something a little different with it. But uh, but we're going to experiment with this. So, <sighs> yeah, it's easier if you just get used to it, John. It's uh, you know, it's I'm just saying, I mean, you're really cramping my lifestyle, baby. I got <laughs> shower. I got to shave. I got to wear clothes. I mean, you don't have to shower or shave. Weird. Well, if I want to, I didn't shower. Good. I didn't shower for this show. Too, too much information, maybe. But uh, you know, probably. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a small little video window. It's you know. But I, I figured I, I had to look presentable, so you know, yeah. I shaved, uh, and I'm wearing a, at least a shirt. Now you don't know if I'm wearing pants, and you we know. don't care. We don't want to know. <laughs> too much information. <laughs> All right, Phoenix. Let's move on. Save us, Phoenix. Writes. I pulled a backup drive from the closet to do some video editing. I still use an iBook G4 with iMovie 06. I was backing up the other old drives on my iMac G5 at the time. Things were working fine on the iBook. I worked in iMovie and was doing sneaker net with small files on a thumb drive between the two computers. When I went back to the iBook, there were three instances of the external USB drive. How did that happen? I tried to eject all three just to make sure. Nothing. For about two minutes. So I went to shut down the iBook. After about two more minutes of waiting for the iBook to shut down, I pulled the power on the external drive. I know you shouldn't, but when things are stuck, what do you do? Minutes before, I had done a disk repair as shown in the log file I sent you. When the iBook was booted back up, I opened disk utility and plugged the external drive back up. Nothing. Then it came back, but put the volume was grayed out. So I did a disk repair. It went through partway and reported invalid sibling link, and it tried to repair the drive. Failed. Failed to repair. Tried it again. Still the same issue. All right. So my guess here, and we'll pass this back and forth, John. My guess is that disk utility, uh, that there was some some file system corruption even before this. The disk utility missed. Disk utility is good, but it's not perfect. And it's not even close to being the best. But it's free and it comes with your Mac. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I think you started with some corruption and then, of course, uh, it got worse. Uh, so, so John, I'll, I'll, I'll pass it to you. I know we both had the same, the same advice on this one. So go ahead and take it. Okay. Well, basically, yes. And so he, um, so we, we, you know, I replied to him and said, basically based on what he said, I mean, I think the error was yeah, invalid sibling link, which since I've never seen that before, that's bad. <clears throat> so my conclusion was the, and and there are cases, as you said, Dave, disutility is is worth what you pay for it, which is nothing. That's right. And it can do some. And, you know, actually, I got to say maybe a finger wag at Apple. It's kind of disappointing that it's not as comprehensive as it should be. But then again, they opened open the door for, uh, uh, you know, third party vendors. And right. so basically, I said to uh, Phoenix, I'm like, all right, you got to pull out the big guns here. And, and I outlined three programs that I thought would be appropriate. So one is Disk Warrior. Yep. Another is Drive Genius, and another is, uh, which uh, with a slightly different bent, is Data Rescue. Okay, yeah, right, right. It's not going to repair the drive, but it'll get your data off if possible, right? Because to me, I think your goal is, and I will say in my humble opinion, Dave, when you get to this point where your drive is so screwed up that you get these errors, 
you may want to just consider tossing the drive. Now, maybe if it's a very expensive drive or a new drive, maybe you want to try to repair it. If it's an older drive, then, then, then I would say, and again, that's just my instinct, maybe the drive is kind of on its way out. And I, I think that's what Phoenix concluded. He's like, I pulled the data and everything's great. And yeah, he I'm fixed it with, he fixed it with, and this is the path I would take first. I, you're mm-hmm. right. It, it, you know, file system corruption is one of those things, though, that happens to every drive. Uh, so I wouldn't necessarily, I, I wouldn't call, I wouldn't use file system corruption as the, as the benchmark as to whether or not to well, get rid of a drive. Well, uh, well, to me, it's caused by data corruption no, or no, hardware, it, hardware starting to fail. And I think that's where you have to kind of a judgment call. Well, you know. file system corruption is not caused by hardware necessarily. It can be, but it can well, also, that's, a, that's, a, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. But it, but you test for that differently, right? If all, if you have sure, file system sure. corruption, but you do a surface scan and there is no, no data errors on the drive, then your drive's fine. You've just mm-hmm. got some software errors that happen. Mm-hmm. They happen for lots of reasons. Uh, and that's why we recommend, you know, running at least disk utility, if not disk warrior or drive genius every six months. Right. To make well, sure very least, clean that up. Right. At the very least, I'm with you. I run and, and at the very basic. So, so I don't necessarily always run a verify on the drive, but I will run a permission check. I think that is something you should probably run. Yeah, it's a totally different thing, though. I understand. Yeah, yeah. I know you do. I'm just trying to making sure our listeners understand. No, I, I know you get it. Yeah. So this yeah. utility does two things. Permission repair, which is you can prevent things that are bad from getting worse. And then, yes, yeah, so you right. say, and normally your boot drive, yeah, you can only do a verify. But if it finds anything. Fix it. Wrong. Yeah. Then, yeah, you're probably going to boot off of the install CD and fix it because, of course, you can't repair when you when you're on the boot drive that's right that's uh, absolutely yeah but but, but you know then on. no so what well, i think what he did was he he repaired the, the the disc with disc warrior got all the data off it and then he abandoned the drive my advice at that point before you abandon the drive is do a surface scan uh which you can't do with disc utility you need um i don't even think mm. you can do it with disc warrior you need something like drive genius to do a surface scan if that reports any errors walk away from the drive and don't look back. If it doesn't, then the drive hard, you know, hardware wise, the drive's okay. Uh, you know, I think you're all right. Any thoughts? Um, with you. I mean, some drives are smart enough to map out mm. hardware failures. True. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. Right. And if they don't, then yeah, that's something like a, And I think, uh, yeah, I think I'm with you is, uh, yeah, between drive genius and uh drive warrior. I think the, uh, you know, we should link because I think, uh, again, our, our pal Ted wrote yeah. a nice article talking about the the potential death of his opinion was that you may not necessarily need these things. Uh, I, 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 I disagree. I respect. Well, I respectfully disagree with him as well. Yeah. But hey, yeah, it's cool. Hey, it's a, it's a good it's article. His opinion. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. And opinions can be right or wrong. And in That's his right. case, it's, uh, it's, uh, well, he's wrong. he's wrong. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll still, we'll still pay him. You know, it's good. It's a good, it's, a, it's his opinion, even if it's wrong. Uh, so I'm glad that Phoenix was able to retrieve the data. Um, and, and you know, that's the first thing probably whenever your drive is getting wonky or you just suspect something's wrong. I mean, first off, if you can, oh, well, number one, I mean, even backing up, I mean, so he said he pulled the drive out of a closet. Oh, I don't know. That's probably not the best strategy. It, well, for you know, pull it out your, of a closet and maybe reformat it 
first before you do anything. Uh, yeah, that would be the first step. Make sure it, it goes through a full format and that everything's all right. You know, repartition it, kind of get it, get it back up to, to living standards. Uh, you know, that, that would be my, that would be my advice. Well, I just got the sense that like we talked in, in I think a, a recent episode is, um, uh, drives tend to atrophy. If you just let them yeah. sit around and stuff, they're, yeah. they're going to become less reliable. You, yeah. you, you want to exercise your drives and not just let them sit around for, you know, in a closet like you did. But right. uh, anyways, we're glad there was a, I think a somewhat happy ending to this. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, let's see if we can, uh, if we can find the, uh, the band here. We can. Really? Yeah. Oh my gosh, time just flew. It did. Time it flies like an arrow, and fruit flies like bananas. Uh, what? You can call us at 206-666-GEEK, which John is... 4335. But hey, you know, if you want to do that, you can email us, Dave, and you can email us with text, with audio, with video, um, or, or some other form of communication that we haven't figured out yet. Pictures and the way you works. do that, Dave, uh, that, that's good too. And and Dave, I think the way you do that is you would send an email to feedback at MacGeekGab.com. That's feedback at MacGeekGab.com, John. I, I concur with you that it's feedback <laughs> no, at no, MacGeekGab.com. No, 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 no. It's, it's feedback at MacGeekGab.com. All right, cut it out. <laughs> what else? Uh, Skype, of course. And, and you know, if you had to guess at the Skype address and you guessed at MacGeekGab, you would... Be guessing correctly. You guess right. That's right. Uh, and of course, you can leave us iTunes comments. We can't reply there, but you can leave them nonetheless. Twitter. If you go to twitter.com slash MacGeekGab, you get the uh, tweets about the show notes. You get tweets about when we're going to be live doing this show. Uh, mm-hmm. You get tweets about just about everything. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's that's number one. Twitter.com slash John F. Braun gets you to John's personal Twitter account. Twitter.com slash Dave Hamilton gets you to mine. Slash Pilot Pete gets you to Pete's. And of course, Twitter.com slash MacObserver gets you to TMO's Twitter account, which basically pushes out our articles and uh, and then we reply to comments is, uh, is mm-hmm. essentially how we manage that one. Michael Johnston from the We Have... Wait, this needs echo. Hang on. From the We Have Communicators podcast. He uh, he converts this show to AAC for you and for us. Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y, provides all the bandwidth. And in the podcast marketplace this month, we have... The A5 and A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, Yo Jimbo, and BB Edit from Barebone Software, PDF Pen, Text Expander, and Text Expander Touch from Smile on My Mac, Notebook from Circus Ponies, and GoToAssist Express at GoToAssist.com slash Gab, all through Backbeat Media. That's it. Let's go. Right? Are we ready to run, John? I'm running. All right, no, thanks I'm everybody running. for uh, th- thanks everybody that bared with us in the uh, Ustream room. We're gonna we are we are gonna we're doing this again on Monday, uh, and we're gonna make it work. So if you're around, what? we're doing it in the afternoon, oh, right? Because that's when we record. So if you're around in the afternoon, we'll tweet it out at uh, Matt Kikab. We we are destined to make this work. Oh, and Dave, I almost forgot. Don't get caught. Thanks. Made up.